0: So I tell you, I only put ads for things, products, people, and programs that I believe in. I ran this podcast for over two and a half years without a single ad. So when I bring you something, it's because I love it. So today I'm talking about free skincare, F-R-E skincare. This skincare is amazing. It was offered for, for me to try a few months ago, um, actually it's been six months now, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. It was really beautiful, it smelled great. (laughs) It made my skin awesome. I really am a big fan. So free skincare is scientifically formulated to combat sweat-induced skin damage. So this is for people who work out and sweat and it promotes a clear, healthy complexion, fights breakouts, vegan ingredients, and they have a 30-day guarantee. So you can try it and if you don't love it, they'll take it back. And there's no hassles. That's it. So go to freeskincare.com, F-R-E, skincare.com. Use the code SWIMBIKEMOM, SWIMBIKEMOM, and you will save all sorts of amounts. It depends. On a random day, you'll probably get 25% off. If they're running a special and you use my code, you can get as much as 43% off. Like right now, they have a special going on for Halloween. This podcast may come slightly after Halloween, Um, or way after Halloween, depending on when you're listening. So just check it out, enter the code, and you will get something off. So freeskincare.com, huge fan, and get on your way to having the beautiful skin that you know you want. Welcome back to the Same 24 Hours podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Nicole LaPera, also known as the Holistic Psychologist, We had a great conversation i i really love talking to psychologists and psychiatrists really really enjoy um just the conversation and the the knowing and the knowledge that comes out of these discussions so so good you guys will really enjoy it so she is a trained clinical psychologist and she was in private practice and she found herself Dr. LaPera found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. And this is a theme that I have noticed over the years in psychology is, is that many um, younger generations, such as, you know, I, myself, I'm 41, but <laughs> um, younger generations are saying, hey, this is great, but it's not quite. And, and they're kind of looking deeper into it. And so... She wanted more for her patients and for herself and began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that also equips people with the tools necessary to heal themselves. And she, one of her hashtags I've noticed on Instagram is self healer. And I love, 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 love that. I love the idea that we are in charge of our health and the ability to heal, that we can't help what happened to us, but we can be responsible and take steps and action towards our own healing. So anyone that's a psychology junkie like myself, you will enjoy this immensely. Check out Dr. Nicole LaPera's new book, How to Do the Work, available March, so you can get your pre-order on now and follow her on the gram at the holistic psychologist, which there's a dot in there, the dot holistic dot psychologist, I believe. All right, everyone, enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Dr. Nicole LaPera is here. Hello. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Facebook. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Meredith. I'm honored (laughs) to be here. Excellent. So from a jumping off point, I absolutely love your Instagram. I love everything you put out there, hence the invite to join me in my little world. So thank you for your contribution Contribution to the social media world because it's good work. Right back
1: at you. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: (laughs) All right. So how did you come to... I mean, your title is the holistic psychologist. So how did you first come to be interested in psychology? And then how did that angle sort of come about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm one of those people, I think as long as I can remember, kind of intuitively, I found myself attracted to understanding other people, I think from a sense of possibly difference. You know, when I became pure age, watching my friends in the world, behaving, thinking, experiencing life differently than I, I did um, really became fascinated the way I understand it now is with the mind um, understanding that you know we're all a little bit different and seeking to understand obviously what makes us different um, whatever that age is when people start to then say well what are you going to be when you grow up um, for me I know that that came up a bit in high school um, because I remember my high school happened to offer one psychology class that you could be eligible for when you were a senior. Right. I, I think that I, was the same with mine.
0: Same yes. thing. Yeah. yeah. And
1: I was looking at that class from freshman year, knowing that I wanted to take that. So somewhere around whatever that age is, I kind of intuitively with that fascination with others and the mind, obviously really top of mind for me, knew I was en route to become a psychologist. Um, so I did the thing. I went through a lot of school. I opened up my private practice in talk therapy. Uh, I practiced in a, in a whole bunch of different treatment centers, um, populations, learned a whole different, all different modalities, as you will, um, ways to treat people, help them obviously manage their symptoms. And flash forward in time, after being in practice for many years, I began to observe a a universal uh, phenomenon that I I like to call of stuckness, of really incredibly insightful humans that I fancied myself one of them, um, that maybe had awareness and maybe had come upon tools to help them create change in their life. And the short of it was Meredith, after doing this for many years, I came to realize that not many of us were able to actually create change in our lives. Um, so I think as it happens for many of us in my own path of self-discovery, trying to at that point in my life, figure my own self out. Why am I still struggling in all of these ways? Why do I still have more or less a daily experience of anxiety of being in fight or flight constantly? Why do I feel so disconnected from everyone around me? Obviously seeing a lot of that same patterning in my clients, I really sought on my own path of exploration. To begin to understand um, that universal stuck um, and in doing so um, i happened upon a whole world of new tools of uh, new ways to incorporate really the the process of change um, which brought me to begin to call myself a holistic psychologist really understanding that we are an interconnected being mind body and soul and like i said many of the ways that many of us have attempted to change have left us largely unsuccessful.
0: Right. So what was the first thing, like when you felt like, okay, I need to change a thing. Cause for me, I always feel like there's this presenting problem. And I talk about it in my book, like if I, for me, it was always, if I could just lose weight, then everything else would be fine. Not ever making the connection until years ago that, oh, that's just a symptom of other stuff. So what was it for you? Did you have a presenting problem that you kept like banging your head against the wall that kind of led you down this
1: path? For as long as I can remember, I mean, I was, I was a little girl afraid of the world, um, Mm. fearful of everything, any bump in the night. So for me, anxiety was just implicitly or so I thought part of who I was, um, I had periods, especially in my 20s where my mom was having a pretty serious heart issue um, where my anxiety really started to hit a peak. And then I started, I met the panic attack um, that really nightmarish experience. And I share that with you because at that point I didn't even view my anxiety and now my, my panic as it was evolving into my 20s as particularly unique or problematic. Cause meanwhile, as I'm entering my 20s, nearing my 30s, most people I'm talking to, I'm friends with, if you will, or I'm interacting with are having that same experience. So I did a lot, as I think a lot of us do, of explaining away or maybe of understanding, you know, symptoms such as anxiety as being the gift our genetics have bequeathed, right? We see maybe these patterns in our families and we begin to believe that that's our lot in life. And I think the field itself contributes to that. For a long time, we were actually taught that we could not affect change based on our genetics, meaning whatever we were, whatever our genes were at birth, it pretty much they just played out as life went on right. for us. And we didn't have right any points of intervention. So a lot of this, these beliefs I myself internalized and felt to be true. So that was a very long-winded way of answering. There wasn't a big glaring thing for me for quite some time. Because a lot of, like I said, the patterns, the lack of fulfillment in my relationships, um, by the time I opened my practice, if I'm perfectly honest, I was living for my vacations for the weekends. And it really sounded quite similar to how most people around me were living. Very low energy, really unfulfilled, barely making it through. So again, I didn't really have the big glaring thing that like set me down the path of something must be wrong um, until... I guess what really shifted me a bit um, from fear, as it often does, I started to um, cognitively. I started to have some really scary symptoms. I started to faint, um, and I started to forget my words uh, mid sentence in the middle with with clients. And it felt different than like oh you know another thought popped in and I trailed off. It was in my brain. It was starting to feel like like I said scary. Um, so for me. First, when that started to happen, uh, I obviously, as most of us do, I went online seeking the diagnosis, the what's actually wrong with me. And at this point, I pretty much pinpointed, well, there's something must be wrong in my brain, um, because I'd never heard of people fainting for another reason. So the gift of, I think, that fear was what led me into beginning to research, you know, obviously the causes or what could be causing that sort of symptomology, which actually then led led me down a pathway beginning to challenge that old model of my genetics are what I meant to live into a new field, a new science of what we now know to be the case, which is epigenetics. So yes, we have genetics and we are, we are equipped with, you know, the genes that are gifted to us at birth. However, we can make change. We can affect change based on our daily choices and the lifestyle that we're living. So for me, while I didn't believe it to be true, that at least opened up a little door um, where I could begin to at least consider now a conversation about actually healing. Because prior to that, like I said, I thought for anxiety in particular, I thought, okay, I'm an anxious person. I will always be an anxious person. It's just a matter of degree. Can I manage my anxiety enough to function in life? Now I began to question that. I began to wonder, well, wait a minute, am I an anxious person or are there, or have there been circumstances that have contributed to my very real experience of anxiety that now I can unlearn or I can begin to create change? So of course that began a process, of creating that healing in my own personal life. But for me, that was the major pivot.
0: So epigenetics, that's like, um, it's, it's kind of the argument nurture versus nature, but even a step further though, because it's not so much just nurture, right? It's like nurturing yourself. So it's almost like an extension beyond your childhood and your adolescence to continuing to nurture, right? Would that be a fair
1: assessment? Absolutely, and it's, it's the merger of, it's not, one or the other. Our human mm. mind likes to, you know, it's nature, not nurture. It's nurture, not nature. We're, we're now understanding it's both, right? It's the, the nature, if you will, what we're born with in the environments that we're born into, and then the environmental effect. So, and, and you'll hear me talk a lot using that word and often emphasizing and, because I think a lot of times we do try to push things into an either or, And we've done that, I believe in science for some time where we did look for the sole genetic cause or the sole environmental cause. And so to simplify the answer, it's both. It's how they interact with each other.
0: And every time I hear this, I think of that documentary, Three Identical Strangers with the triplets who were, oh, you haven't seen that? Oh, Oh, you, okay. Um, Yeah, and and I feel like that documentary just sort of took the, or approach, like it's nature or nurture. And I, or it was, I don't know, it, it felt kind of like at the end you were like, oh, well, it's clearly nurture. <laughs> we know who to blame. Right. right. Mm-hmm. um But yeah, I think that's such an important distinction to realize that it's the and. Oh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, before we got on, um I mentioned your recent Instagram post about codependency and the family unit. And I thought that was so fascinating because Um, well, just with my own history and realizing the emotional impact of like the family dynamic. And when someone in the family requires all the attention or all the emotion, like how that operates. So, and I also had a call with a client recently who we talked about codependency and she's like, I don't even know what that means. And I was like, well, codependency is when I was like, yeah, I'm not qualified to tell you what that is either. (laughs) So I feel like that's a term that's kind of bopping around a lot. So maybe we can talk about Codependency. Like, what is it? Why is it like the term of the day right now? And why do we care?
1: <laughs> um, so coming from a very, very codependent household, interestingly enough, if you would have talked to me, Meredith, 10 years ago, I might have heard that word in a very distant clinical sense. Um, I definitely wouldn't have not have frequented use of that word in in my clinical practice, and you would have absolutely heard me at ad- 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 adherently denying that I came from a codependent family. Um, so I say all that to say, I believe that now this, this concept is being talked about um, in a really helpful way. And I think for quite some long, it hasn't been. Um, and I think a lot of us are operating very codependently. So what do I mean when I say codependent? Um, so, you know, I'll preface kind of most of the explaining that I do with acknowledging that I speak in very kind of simplistic ways um my intention mainly is to give people you know a new level of awareness and a new level of practicality um with some of these tools that i believe are a little bit distant from us in the way they're described so in simplicity's sake um we do a lot of learning when we come here when we are born as infant humans we are born in a complete state of dependency Meaning we are reliant on someone, something, a caregiver, a parent figure outside of ourselves to quite literally ensure life, to keep us alive. We cannot care for ourselves as a human infant. Now, in that state of dependency, I believe, right, that the the holistic human is an integrated, you know, kind of creature, for lack of a better word, that has mind, body, and soul. So accordingly, I believe that, you know, this infant being comes into this earth experience with needs in each of those areas, right? They're born into a body and it's the physical body has needs. Again, we have a very complicated emotional system and emotional experiences, humans. And again, we're each our unique spiritual entity. So back in that state of dependency, because we can't meet our needs on our own and because we are wired to connect with other humans to help us meet those needs, we're, Quite literally, again, wired to be in relationship, we begin to to engage in dynamics. Dynamics mainly ad- ad- addressing attempts to get those needs met, and we're doing learning. And what a lot of us are doing, you know, in absence of having a very attuned caregiver, which most of us don't have, that are able to fully meet their own. Physical, emotional, and spiritual needs so that they can put their aside for someone else's, right? This is all an ideal world. Pretty, pretty unrealistic for most of us humans. When we don't have that, we are incredibly adaptive as human infants as well. So we begin to modify certain things like the way we meet our needs based on what we've learned to do. Again, oftentimes that's incomplete for us. We also learn how to inhabit roles, you know, kind of wear the masks that a lot of us like to acknowledge that we do in relationships. Again, all aimed in the service of meeting our needs. And what happens for a lot of us is we begin to outsource our needs being met externally, right? We begin to meet whether it's our physical needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs, through external means, whether it's, you know, ways of being in the world, ways of relating to others, roles that we're playing. And so what a lot of us are doing is we're meeting our needs through someone else. So what codependency is simply, it's a limit or it's a lacking of a limit where there is no definition that is separating me, say for instance, Meredith, from you, Mm -hmm. such as through us being in relation together, again, I'm actually indirectly attempting to get some of my needs met. So the journey out of this for most of us is learning how to create that separation where there wasn't. Learning how to identify my unique needs, which in any given moment, very likely are going to differ from everyone else's needs around me, because I'm a different human being. And then learning over time, of course, how to show up in service authentically of meeting my own needs so that then I can show up more authentically in my relationship. So simply codependency is when we lack that definition between self and other and the process out. What what that results in, I should say, is that merger, is that, you know, external use of the relationship to define myself in absence of being able to do that on my own. And again the pathway out is being able to carve out space where I can honor whether it's my physical needs, my emotional needs or my spiritual needs in any given moment as they very likely vary from those around me.
0: Yeah, so like in, in my book I talk about people pleasing being a like mm-hmm. version of nonsense and I talk about a ton of other nonsense like all sorts, but people always talk, come back to that. They're like, oh, it's the people pleasing. That seems to be a huge Mm -hmm. buzzword or like a a huge brand of nonsense for people. So is that, is codependent, is people pleasing a a type of codependency that you just like apply broadly? Right,
1: because the simple belief, right? If I keep you happy, then you fill it in. It could be anything from I sustain the relationship I feel good about myself, mm-hmm. right? I'm some definition of some good person that I've defined or I've come to learn is what a good person means. Um, absolutely, so people pleasing, caretaking. Um, again, it's, it's that outsourcing of, and what we wanna understand for ourselves is what is the why? What is the belief um, that keeps me showing up? What, another way to ask this, what is the fear? If I don't people please, if I don't do what I think you need in the moment, what am I fearing? So again, some of us listening might have clarity right away. Oh, I'm fearing this person won't love me. I'm fearing they'll think I'm selfish. Some of us might not know. So it's that path of exploring. That's typically what's what's keeping us locked in that behavior of people pleasing. And I
0: know my own personal journey kind of out of people pleasing was when you say what the fear was, like, why was I doing it? What was I afraid of? All I could think about when I first started addressing it was it's just fear. I'm just, I'm just afraid. Like I was afraid of being afraid of being afraid. Like it was just fear stacked on top of fear. And so to do that exploration, like where where it came from and where like the roots were and learning like, Oh my gosh, this was literally fear that I would be abandoned (laughs) and left in the street as a five-year-old. Like it was true survival. Like, Oh, I'm scared. I'm going to (laughs) die. And then when you connect that as an adult that you're carrying the people pleasing is that serious. Like you are carrying an internal, nervous system response to survival that just for me that lit my
1: brain all up and I was like oh I gotta stop this. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta get a hold of I, this. And I think it's an incredibly important awareness in that I'm always speaking about the underlying process whether it's what we're talking about now the nervous system dysregulation. Because I know a, a really unfortunate byproduct for a lot of us is when we begin to apply labels of brokenness. Well there must be something wrong with me. And the reality is in most of these situations, all of our habits and all of our patterns are actually us working perfectly, perfect as we should. Again, it's our nervous system, you know, protecting us from fear at one time that was quite overwhelming. Um, And again, everything that we're living, and that's why I'm always talking about the pathway to stuck, like I will in the book, right? Also giving us the pathway out of stuck, but because a lot of us do internalize shame, brokenness. We take it to mean that we shouldn't, can't change um, because we continue to see ourselves unable to affect change or to have that you know, amorphous fear um, with everything and not really knowing where it comes from. And the reality, like I said, is Meredith, it does come from a place, often a protective place, um, that it takes us peeling back the layers to, to begin to unearth And then to empower ourselves, because the fear that at one time was overwhelming is now much more manageable in our adult self once we understand how to navigate right fear, anxiety, feelings in general. And for many of us, even as adults, and I'll be the first one to say it. And this, I think is for hard to believe maybe for a lot of people, because I went to school for a very long time, trying to help <laughs> other people deal with their emotions, right? Still a journey, still a journey that I'm on to empower myself to not only expand and allow the whole spectrum of human emotions to be you know, applicable in my life as they will be. Furthermore, to learn how to deal with them. So. A lot of us, I think, as adults believe, oh, well, we should know. We should know how to deal with our emotions. We should know what scares us. We should know how to handle fear. And the truth of the matter is, we're probably relying on those older coping tools that right. actually aren't serving us anymore.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So you're going to tell us how to fix this unbrokenness <laughs> since we're not broken, but that, you know, everyone can identify, like most people can identify, oh, yeah, I'm a people pleaser now what or i have this and now what you know i think there may be awareness to what the problem is you know i put problem in quotes but now what and i you have a new book coming out in march how to do the work what a great title because you know it's not how to go to the playground or how to pick up your free kit like it's work to do the work. So what is the, what is the first step? I mean, what is it? Is it awareness? Is it um, hold, you know, put your seatbelt on?
1: Like where, where do we start? Awareness is the first step. However, it's not the last step. Actioning, creating change. So what do I mean when I say that? The reason why to put it simply, most of us are stuck. Is because all of this conditioned way of being that we've been talking about, right? All of these habits and patterns, all of these best attempts at meeting our needs, physical, spiritual, and emotional, that most of us, you know, be, were modeled in childhood and repeating over adulthood. All of those, I'm going to call them the programs, the computer analogy that we're all very familiar with, right? All of these programs are actually stored in a very powerful place in our, in our, in our mind. It's called our subconscious. And depending on the literature you read, upwards of 90, 95% of our day-to-day life, we are at the mercy of those programs. Meaning simply, we're running on that autopilot. We're not waking up each and every day and just think logically in your own life, the listeners, and deciding what do we do in the mornings? What's the first thing I'm gonna do? Typically what we do the first thing in the morning is what we've always done the first thing in the morning. So that is very strong. You use the word insight, right? We, and a lot of us, are very insightful, very self-aware. I would see this week after week in my practice. I'd sit across from a very self-aware human. We'd pick apart the habits and patterns that that aren't serving us any longer. We might even know where we got them from. We could even come up with a plan of action, like I said, right, of what we're going to do differently the next time this happens. That conversation is actually happening from a different part of our mind. It's coming from our prefrontal cortex, the seat of where consciousness lives. Consciousness is what makes us different from animals. We have the ability to think about thought, to observe our thought, to use our past experiences and decide what didn't work and troubleshoot and plan for a future that's different. So that very beautiful therapy session, for instance, using my past experience, all is coming from a great, powerful part of our brain, of our mind, that can actually allow us to create change, to snap out of those habits and patterns. However, when I leave that therapy session and I go about my day, the large majority of us are going right back into those autopilot patterns. So to create change, we have to learn how to be conscious in our daily experience. We have to learn how to translate that awareness, that plan, new plan of action from my mind into what actually happens the next time that external event occurs in my world. So that's the shift we have to make. And that comes when first we honestly assess how conscious we are in the day-to-day. And suggestion, a quick and easy one that I often give, because I know that a large majority of us walk around with a cell phone, set a cell phone alarm for two random times throughout your day. To the, you'll probably forget by the time the alarm goes off that you set the alarm in the morning. When that alarm goes off, I want you to do an attention check. Ask yourself, what were you paying attention to? Were you fully immersed in whatever it is you were supposed to be doing, whatever is alive for you in the moment, the person in front of you that you're talking to, the piece of work that you're working to get through, or was your attention elsewhere? Each and every time I checked in with myself throughout my day, I noticed that my attention was pretty much never in the current moment. I like to be ruminating over the argument that I maybe had this morning, where I'm really perfecting what I could have said back to really (laughs) get her the next time, right? Right. And I also love to worry about things that haven't yet happened. I love to fear what's going to happen tomorrow, and maybe even to rehearse what's the silly example. However, my attention wasn't present. So the more I check in with myself throughout the day, and the more I notice that I'm not actually fully here in my current Mm -hmm. moment. I can rest assured that I'm probably letting my subconscious programs run the large majority of my day. So then we wanna, it's now, this is where it becomes an action. Now we wanna practice being conscious. And our pathway into the present moment that most of us have access to is through our senses, right? What are we touching, tasting, feeling, smelling? Can we redirect our attention from wherever the heck else it was And can we ground it into the sensory experiences of being in our body? And when we do that, most of us are able to then become conscious. So now we're went from wherever we were. So for me, that was on my spaceship somewhere else. And now I'm back in in the moment here. And then we wanna practice that because in the conscious moment is where over time, we can create the space To see those older reactions because they don't go away overnight, right? To see that tempting thing to yell or scream or that reaction to have, and over time to now begin to make new choices in our day to day. And that's then how we create and maintain change. Otherwise, we're slipped into that unconscious, subconscious, and it's those older programs that are going to repeat, which is why we're living that Groundhog's Day, which is why we're getting a lot of those same reactions in our environment.
0: So I had a client come to me and she was, she's awesome. I still have her. And she goes, her pride, her moment of pride, when I was first meeting her was that she was on autopilot. (laughs) She was like, I am on autopilot. I have, and I was like, yeah, we're going to get you off that. she's like, what? Like and she was so proud of it. And it was so funny. Cause I was, I was talking to her last week. She's like, you know, it's good to be off that autopilot after all. I'm like, I, I know. It. Right. But we do pride ourselves in the fact that we can get to noon and we're not even awake yet. You know, it's just this sense of, of survival. But one of the things that you brought up that was interesting, and I know you can expand on this. I know when I first started, started therapy, I was on zoom with a therapist and, um, he goes, I'm going to need you to close your eyes and we're going to feel your body against the chair. And I was like, no, 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 I don't. I don't want to be in my body. And I didn't realize that I was not in my body. That was my form of autopilot. And my friend, Mm -hmm. Britt Frank, who's a psychologist, she calls it a floating head. Like that. I had no connection, I guess, from trauma, from just like, (laughs) This is how I'm getting through the world, but I'm going to pretend like it's not really here because it's not serving me. But how do you get someone to make that brain body connection, to be conscious, to be sensory when maybe that hadn't felt safe before?
1: Yeah. And for a lot of us, it hadn't. Um, and I love that you brought that up because a lot of us, sometimes this isn't, you know, the, the typical quote unquote, you know, negative behaviors, you know, it's not the addictions that we're trying to like mitigate because we know they're covering, this, you know, these patterns or this pain or, or this emptiness, whatever it may be. Um, You know, a lot of times it's, it's what society might even celebrate. I'm that person. I went to very high level schools. I'm very achievement oriented for me. That endless to do list was another version of a spaceship. If I was always focusing on the next thing I had to do to achieve my next milestone. And I kept myself with milestones into the foreseeable future. I never had a drop in to what's actually going on. I believe in general, most humans are, are, are primed and are some of us celebrate it to spend way too much time in our thinking mind. Our thoughts in and of themselves can be our distractions from our body. You're bringing up a really important aspect of it, which is a lot of us did engage in some version of the checkout from our body, again, putting it right. simply, because of overwhelm or because of a lack of feeling of safety in our body at some place in some time, which means right that we never wanna just dive into the deep end, right? A lot of us do believe, I think sometimes, oh, if I just unearth my trauma and I just dive right in and bring up all the terrible memories and maybe it'll suck and I'll just white knuckle it and then I'll be better quicker, right? That actually is gonna create that same overwhelm. So what we have to do is empower ourselves And learn now as an adult, most of us, how to create that safety um, in our bodies so that we can gradually over time widen our window and step into more and more discomfort comfortably and safely. For me, the most powerful um, kind of safe haven that I've been able to develop for myself is something that I carry around with me every day. And that's through the power of my breath. Um, there's a particular way that we can engage in, in breath work or an in intentional breathing where we can teach our body and our nervous system in particular, you know, breathing down really deep into our belly or into, you know, our, our, our deeper breath, we can actually activate our safety center in our nervous system. It's called our parasympathetic mood. Um, and so for me, cultivating a breath work practice that I could do all day long So this is how I was able to similarly coming from complete overwhelm, my spaceship saved me. I had to right kind of widen my window of tolerance so that I felt safe enough to come back into my body. And the way that I was able to do that is I was able to empower myself by practicing breath work. I practiced all of the time so that as I began to, you know, kind of embody myself and I came into maybe anxious feelings or discomfort. I felt confident enough that I could regulate my breathing in a way that helped me create safety. And I'm speaking that very intentionally because breath work, I think, and a lot of these tools are are the things that we hear. and we're like, oh, that's helpful. I'll do that next time I'm upset. Right. And so I'm here to offer that unfortunately, we have to practice this before we're upset right. so that two things can happen. so that a I can remember to do this new thing when I'm upset or else. My subconscious program is going to tell me what I do when I'm upset and chances are it's not going to be breath work and then B so that I can feel empowered, right? So that I can feel safe that, okay, I'm starting to feel a little agitation right now. I can now feel confident that if I just focus on my deep breathing for maybe, you know, five nice breaths that I can feel my calm. I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't feel confident in doing that unless I practice Um, though safety. So thank you for putting a pin in this conversation around that is going to be what's important and cultivating that internal compass for safety and that internal process to regulate you back to safety. In my opinion is what the work is about, not the tool on the outside, if you will, right. It's that psychological now shift from, I can't to this sucks though. I can in terms of handling overwhelm.
0: Right. And I've done enough podcast interviews now to when someone says breath work or meditation that I mute my mic because like when people say breath work, I'm like, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) I breathe breathe in because it's just like, you know, I feel that calm when any, anytime someone says breath work, I'm like, oh yes, that would feel good about now. So now I just mute and do it while you're talking. But um, yeah, that's such a, such a good point. And I experienced it today, just like around lunchtime, I felt, I think I just had a little too much coffee, but I was like, and I took a minute and I was like, you know, I did this breathing ritual that I do and right out of it. I mean, just Mm But that's a long way for me. That was huge progress from like 2017 when I'm like, I don't want to feel my butt against the chair. Don't talk. <laughs> I'm not sitting in this chair. Um, yeah, so and you're not You're not
1: alone. A lot of us feel that. So I am happy you speak about it. I speak about it. I mean, a lot of us. And, and I speak about it too from the perspective of, and I talk about this a lot too, like I was very confused at why I was so dissociated. I had no idea because I didn't have you know, the big bad thing that I could pinpoint that happened to me, and the moment that I left my body never to return again. So, for me, and I speak about, you know, an expanded definition of trauma and all of the different ways that we can fall into the states of dysregulation, everything you and I are talking about now, because, like I said, I didn't have the pieces to put together, and I very much was left wondering what is wrong with me? Why am I so disconnected when I can't really pinpoint, like I said, that cataclysmic moment where I left? And I think a lot of us fall into that camp and are very surprised at how unsafe our bodies feel when we don't really have the understanding for why, right? If nothing bad maybe happened in my body, um, why am I so unsafe in it? Um, And again, the answer lies from that child mind, you know, a lot of us look back in time and are like, Oh, that wasn't a big deal. We have to remember that the time these things happened, right. When mom wasn't there on time to pick me up or, you know, when the, when the, my friend on my schoolyard made fun of me and everyone laughed at me, we can look back, you know, when I'm almost 40 and say, Oh, that's so minimal. Like you're fine. However, when I was six, and then when I went home to what felt like maybe an unsupportive environment, maybe that did feel completely overwhelming for me and unsafe.
0: And that is such a, I'm so glad you said that because I've always been trying to connect like why childhood matters, you know, and trying to convey that, but that's, that's exactly right. If you think about it in the child's mind, like, you know, if you've got children and you've got a six-year-old, like, I feel like every generation does it, you know, a little bit more intelligent, a little bit better, but you know, if you're looking at your kid and you're like, well, would I just jump out of a closet and scream boo with like a <laughs> terrible mat? Like you wouldn't do that to a six-year-old, mm-hmm. but an adult, you you know, you might. And, and so understanding the child mind, I think that that's such a great point. I'm so glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah. And cultivating, I think that voice within ourselves, because a lot of us grow up now with that critical voice, right? Where we don't allow those deeper feelings that were very legitimate maybe for us as we embody ourselves. And I come into the feelings, I might try to minimize the feelings that I'm having at any moment. So I think it's extending that compassion even to our internal voices, because I know a lot of us continue to inhibit or criticize ourselves, again, from that adult perspective, that idea of should and shouldn't around feelings. um, And that continues to, I think, exacerbate um, our, our struggling, our suffering.
0: Well, thank you so much. Tell everyone where they can find you. Where do you do most of your um your stuffs on the gram or is that uh, the best? On place? the gram.
1: So, so each gram. and every day you can find me um at the dot holistic psychologist talking about my own healing journey, sharing tools for the healing journey, um, all of the links. So anyone who's interested, I have a new expanded version of a journaling technique. Um, that i actually created while i was on my own healing journey and still use to this day it's called the future self journal so Anyone who might be interested in giving um, conscious journaling a try in terms of creating change in their life can check out the link tree, jump on my email list and that will come to your inbox. And then anyone who is interested, um, the new book will launch or will drop to the world in March though it's currently on pre-sale. So anyone who's interested in um, jumping on that pre-sale list can do so as well in the link in my bio.
0: And I will say as an author, go pre-order the book. (laughs) If you enjoyed this hour, (laughs) go buy her book. Like pre-orders are gold for authors. So well, Dr. Nicole LaPera, everyone, this was fantastic. I thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Meredith. It was a pleasure to connect with you and your community. All right, take care. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.